Hello, I'm Evan Reese, an Asia-Pacific analyst at Stratfor, and this podcast is being brought to you by Stratfor Worldview, the world's leading geopolitical intelligence platform. Individual, team, and enterprise memberships are available at worldview.stratfor.com slash subscribe. collecting his trash but you don't just collect his trash and drive the trash truck away you have to collect the whole neighborhoods and so i would go in the back of the trash trucks and sift through it to see if there were any good intelligence leads hi i'm fred burton and welcome to the pen and sword podcast i'm here today with tracy water who has written The Unexpected Spy, From the CIA to the FBI, My Secret Life, Taking Down Some of the World's Most Notorious Terrorists. Tracy, welcome to the Pen and Sword podcast. Thank you for having me, Fred. I'm really excited to be to be on today. Oh, it's our honor. And I look at your background. You were a former staff operations officer at the CIA Counterterrorism Center and also an FBI special agent. What haven't you done? I haven't jumped out of a plane quite yet. <laughs> no, I remember the Counterterrorism Center from from my days when I was uh, on the hostage location task force back in the 80s when we were trying to find uh, Bill Buckley who had been kid- oh, yes. yeah, who mm-hmm. had been kidnapped by Hezbollah. So uh, certainly the 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 Counterterrorism Center has changed in our post 9/11 world. Yes, definitely it has changed quite a bit. Now when you look at someone like yourself, who has been in both entities, uh, the CIA and the FBI, what's the pros and cons about each agency? That's actually a really great question. Um, you know, with with the CIA, it's hard for me to find a con, which is a little un, you know unfair, I guess. I'm, I'm biased. I I truly enjoyed all of my time there. I felt felt it was it was really a collaborative place to work, which I think in intelligence is something that you really, really need um, to support that mission. Um, I felt very supported by my colleagues, very supported by my administrators. Um, You know, I felt that people truly were passionate uh, about the work that they were doing and were excellent um, at their jobs. I'd say maybe the only thing that is a con is just simply the level of communication between the different agencies, you know, take, for example, the CIA and the NSA, you know, sometimes communication wasn't the best because our clearances are different. And I think that can preclude good intelligence sometimes. So I'd say that would be the con, I guess, of the CIA. Um, in terms of the FBI, you know, their mission is different. They're a law enforcement organization. Um, and I would say the biggest con for me that I personally faced there was was gender discrimination. Um, and I think sometimes special agents in general um, you know, they're programmed to sort of, we are programmed to do, you know, one thing, which is to take criminals, arrest them, try them and, and hopefully convict them. But I think we have to remember that there's lots of different things that comes into that, you know, analysis, technology, and you have to be open to utilizing those skills as well. That's fascinating. Now, in The Unexpected Spy, uh, how do you go from the University of Southern California to the CIA? Walk me through that uh, recruitment process. Um, so in, in terms of the recruitment process, um, I, I dropped off my resume with them at a career fair. And a lot of people don't really believe that they, they recruited career fairs, but they do. Quite a few actually around Texas. I know that they're at UT, A&M, SMU. 
Um, and they had come to a career fair at USC. So I dropped off my resume. Um, they gave me a call maybe about two or three weeks later. This was the spring of my junior year. Um, and they asked for me to come uh, for a face-to-face interview with, with a bunch of people um, in Los Angeles, which I, which I did. And then I heard about a month later that I had made it through that process. Um, and then they send you out to Virginia for sort of a more rigorous um, testing, which is, you know, a psychological test, medical testing, uh, polygraph exam, um, you know, math testing, all those kinds of things, um, and some more interviews. Um, and then I didn't hear back from them for about two or three months. Um, and uh, from there, I got a, a conditional offer of employment um, that it was contingent upon me graduating college. And when you decided to leave the agency, what was the, the tripwire for that, uh, Tracy? Um, so when I decided to leave the agency, that was actually a really hard decision. Um, I absolutely loved every moment of my time there. Sometimes it's hard to leave a place on like really good terms. Um, right. You know, like, we associate that a lot of times with negativity and I left on really good terms. Um, they gave me another award the day that I left. Oh, wow. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. So I, I had such, I had such a wonderful experience. I mean, they were my, I have friends that still work there. They were bridesmaids in my wedding. Um, so I have nothing but positive things to say, but um, something that I knew was never going to change about the agency was the overseas mission in terms of living overseas. And at the ripe old age of 26, um, <laughs> I realized that um, I didn't want to live overseas for the rest of my life. Um, and obviously, I'd done quite a bit of travel, and I realized I was very passionate about the counterterrorism mission. Um, and I wanted to do that where I could remain in one location in an operational way that was stateside. And I figured, you know, the FBI, if I requested one of the large offices, which I knew I would get, um, you do not have to move. You can stay in one place. And I thought that would be a good uh, remedy for, you know, my my situation and my goals. So that's, that's why I decided to leave. So you become a special agent in the FBI's Los Angeles field office focusing in on Chinese counterintelligence. I I know that's a lot of um, activity and tradecraft and surveillance that takes place. Uh, are you able to talk a little bit about what you did as a, a special agent with the Bureau in L.A.? Yeah, so I was actually in the Orange County Resident Agency, which is a smaller satellite office. From um, That's kind of how the FBI works. They have smaller satellite offices um, from the large one. Um, so that's where I was actually placed. Um, and I'll be honest, I was initially irritated uh, because I obviously had this pretty tremendous background in counterterrorism, and I really didn't understand uh, why I wasn't working in counterterrorism. Um, yeah. But they needed my security clearance um, from the CIA. Uh, not all FBI agents were had the security clearance to be on that case. So that's why they put me uh, working there. Uh, the case was was already underway when I started. And at that time, you know, we have to remember there's a lot of talk right now about, you know, Chinese economic espionage. But at that time, um, there really wasn't. So, you know, we didn't have these huge squads that I, I'm pretty sure the FBI would have today dedicated to it. Um, it was a rather sort of small um, operation, if you will. Um, and the the good news about the case I worked is he's already been tried and convicted and is in prison. And the New, um, the New Yorker wrote like a five page article. And it's been on CNN actually as well um, on their uh, declassified series. So I can talk a lot about it. Um, 
And, you know, you kind of start out with basic tradecraft. That's what people might be surprised with is uh, the first thing I had to do, which I actually really enjoyed, uh, was dumpster diving. Um, <laughs> you know, we were collecting his his trash, but I'm sure as a lot of your listeners know, you don't just collect his trash and drive the trash truck away. Um, you have to collect the whole neighborhood's trash. Yeah. Um, and so I would go in the back of the trash trucks and sift through it um, to see if there were any good uh, uh, intelligence leads, um, if you will. Um, the gentleman had been living in the United States for over 20 years um, and become a naturalized citizen. Um, and he was working at a company that was developing radar cloaking technology for our nuclear class of submarines. And he was giving that te- that radar cloaking technology to the Chinese. Oh, my goodness. Um, so, yeah. yeah. And so, you know, this was a, a true economic espionage case, if you will. Um, and so he, for the first thing we sort of figured out from his trash is, you know, what makes this guy tick? Why is he doing this? Um, and it definitely wasn't for, for money. Uh, what we found out was that he was a really staunch Maoist. Interesting. Um, and that's what really sort of, you know, drove him to do what he was doing. Um, and then, you know, we had to learn his daily routines and his daily um, patterns. We found out he was an extreme um, cheapskate, um, even though he made more than six figures um, at his job. Um, which was very surprising, but also very Maoist in nature, you know, not very surprising, I guess. Um, you know, and then we would uh, sit on his his phone, obviously. Um, and then uh, one of the things that we, we sort of culminated this all with was a surreptitious entry into his home. Um, but ultimately, uh, the way he was caught was not through all that fancy stuff. It was actually through his trash. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. And uh, yeah. so basically with the surreptitious entry, you're just, you're pretty much uh, getting paid to commit a burglary, right? <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I guess that's the way you have to look at it. We'll get back to our conversation in just a minute. Interviewing authors here at Stratfor is a real pleasure for me. Not only do I learn something from listening to these fabulous authors we've had on our series, Uh, But I also uh, love to hear how the authors put their works together, and it certainly makes me a better writer. Uh, I would encourage you to subscribe to our podcast, and uh, if you like what you hear here, please consider subscribing to our digital publication, Stratfor Worldview. When people ask me what we do here at Stratfor, I always try to say that we make sense of the world. Uh, Look, I've been here now going on almost 20 years, and I've had lots of opportunities to go elsewhere. I've uh, been lucky enough to have cobbled together a few books, but I can say this, that when I sit around the analyst table every morning and watch uh, some of our analysis being put together, I think people uh, would be surprised. And I think that for those of you who really want to see why uh, the world works the way it does, uh, without the bias, without the spin, without the the inside-the-beltway kind of... uh, takeaways, uh, I would encourage you to take a look at what we do. Stratford.com slash subscribe. I don't think you'll be disappointed. As you look back on your time now with the benefit of hindsight and and thinking about uh, your your transition from the agency to the FBI, is there anything that you would do differently? So that's a hard question, and I, I don't want to put off you know any of your listeners um, but I think at the FBI, I would have stood up for myself a little bit more. Um, I was severely uh, sexually harassed uh, during my time there. Um, and I wish that I would have 
stood up for myself, but I was extremely young. Um, and I think I just lacked a lot of the confidence to do that. When you decided to put this book together, uh, what was your process uh, or thought behind what you wanted to focus on? So I think, um, a better way for me to answer that question is what I knew I didn't want to focus on. If that's, if it's okay to answer it that way. Sure. Um, so, so for me, um, and I don't want to turn this into a gender thing, but, um, I had written, I had read, gosh, almost every book that had been written by former CIA officers to sort of get prepped for this. Um, and I sort of noticed some commonalities. A lot of them were written by men, which is great. They're amazing officers as well. But one thing I knew I didn't want to do was focus too much on dating and, and sort of those kinds of things. I knew I didn't want that in the book. Um, and I also knew that I didn't want to write my book for a political agenda. Um, I really don't have one, to be honest with you. I'm sort of right, right in the middle. Um, and I think uh, for me, it would sort of undersell what my overlying message was. And I was, it was just my lived experiences. I wanted my opinions to really um, be grounded in experiences that I was having at that particular time. So those are two things I knew I didn't want. What is your process? We have a lot of uh, authors on our podcast series, and I always learn something when I talk to other authors. When you're putting a book together like this, talk me through how you actually made the sausage so uh, our listeners can also understand, and, and perhaps this will spark some ideas in their minds. So for me, um, I had already been writing. I'd been writing for some newspapers, um, you know, pieces on national security and things like that. Um, obviously, I'm not a writer by trade, um, but my writing was very uh, clinical and factual in nature, which, you know, that's great um, for journalism, but wasn't necessarily great for creating a narrative um, inside of a book. So the best thing that I did was I actually reached out to someone who was a creative writer. Um, all she wrote were fiction um, novels. And together, we decided we could kind of join forces and write, you know, a memoir, which it had the facts in it from sort of my writing. And then I blended in her creative writing. And all we did with that was through um, a Google Doc. Also, I think for me, a lot of the experiences that were in the book just seemed my norm. You know, they were the life that I lived. And she sort of helped me flesh those out more by engaging, you know, all of my senses in um, experiencing those things. So that was probably the best thing that I could have done for myself. In general, serving your country and thinking about the mission that the CIA has uh, and the FBI, uh, what do you think is the most difficult aspect of uh, your time at the CIA? I think that's more that comes more with hindsight, I guess, not sort of being in the moment. Um, what was really difficult for me, actually, um, were the findings of the 9-11 Commission, um, simply because, you know, the CIA was really blamed pretty much, um, for the bulk of it. Um, and I knew that that wasn't the case, but it's so easy to blame the CIA for a lot of things because they can't talk about it. Right. Um, and I think that was always very frustrating to me. Um, it was this idea of not being able to sort of defend yourself. Thinking about the agency's mission and so forth that has changed from, you know, the war on terror. I mean, and, and looking at, uh, perhaps a shift back to, nation-state intelligence mm -hmm. espionage directed towards us. Do you think the agency is adapting back in that model or or has the endless war on terrors just put the agency in a, in a, in a path that's going to be very difficult to kind of rein back? So I'm not sure. Um, that's a good question. 
because you're right, it used to be sort of organized by nation state. Um, and then I think we found that that organization sort of made us very um, unprepared uh, for, you know, the counterterrorism mission. Um, I, I think, I don't think that the CIA is going, you know, fully back into that nation state mode. In fact, I know that they reorganized themselves not too long ago. Um, and they seem to have done so more by centers, which is, I actually, I actually think is much more effective because I think the CIA recognizes probably that even though we're going back into this sort of nation state mode, um, they're all connected and we have to do this in a center type of way rather than just, you know, a Russia unit and, you know, sort of divide it out by that. So I, I think they're responding well to it and particularly where their emphasis on centers. And Tracy, as we wind up here, uh, what are a couple things that you would want our listeners to take away from the story? I guess the first one would be, you know, don't judge a book by its cover. And I mean that in pretty much every aspect. Um, you know, I was a, a pretty naive Jewish girl uh, from Southern California, and I had a lot of opinions already about a lot of things. But but seeing the world and experiencing the world in many different ways uh, really helped me see things very, very uh, differently. So, you know, not immediately judging. Um, also, know the facts before you make a decision about something. I think that's that's another message that I would want people to come away with. Um, and also um, just sort of, I would like them to have an understanding of gender discrimination and sort of the, the hurdles that exist within some of our agencies. Tracy, I want to thank you for your service to our country, not only uh, with the CIA, but with the FBI, and uh, certainly appreciate you coming on our Pen and Sword podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm a huge, huge fan of Stratfor and the, the work that you're doing. Well, thank you for being with me today on the Stratfor Pen and Sword podcast. Uh, I'm with Tracy Water, who has written The Unexpected Spy, and I'm Fred Burton. Thank you. Thank you.